I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. More and more as the years go on, am I more determined to be part of it, not to um, be a celebrity in the world, but to actually make some change for the better so that what I've done in my time is remembered as that person really helped the Australian beverage scene develop. This is the Over the Glass podcast. I'm Shante Whale. Today, we're doing something a little different on Over a Glass. As you may have already guessed, I'm not Shante Whale. I'm Anthony Huxtep, host of a few shows on the Deep in the Weeds network, and today I'm pouring the drinks as we take the deep dive to find out a little bit more about our amazing host, Shante Whale. Shante is one of Australia's leading sommeliers, a wine communicator, drinks nerd and all-round legend of the Australian hospo industry. Shante, how are you? I'm really well, Huck. Thanks for uh, doing this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to do it, actually, and interested to know more about you. You've done this amazing job with Over a Glass. What, what, what's it been like uh, hosting the podcast? Oh, pretty incredible, actually. I had been wanting to do a podcast for a very long time, so coming up to about three years. I'd started the process a couple of times and, of course, put it off. And uh, then with the last lockdown, I really um, – you know, put my head down and bum up and said, I'm, by the time this lockdown's over, I'm going to make sure I have my own podcast. Um, and you probably know a bit more about how that worked out, but um, I, I had just <laughs> wanted so desperately to have an opportunity to not talk about myself and to talk about other people's experiences. And at the end of the day, my goal was that I have great connections with people. I have, I'm very lucky to be in a position where I get to meet some really great characters and spend time with them. And I just thought so much of the, the people I know and the best experience I've ever had have been away on a trip or a junket. And I really just wanted to be able to put that out into the world so that other people could have that kind of experience with um, a conversation or a casual conversation that I'd have with a winemaker or whoever it may be. And so um, it was a dream and being able to do it for real is just incredible. And having the contacts that I have with you guys, having the professionalism and, and the, you know, Rob being an incredible producer has taken it to a whole new level. So I'm really honoured, but it has actually, it's pro probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life, I'd say. Well, you do have this incredible knack of pulling a story out of someone, but today we're going to need to get the stories out of you for a change. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any stories from doing the podcast and the impact and, and maybe some of your favourite episodes or experiences? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I have a, a, a list that goes on and on about the people I want to have on um, the podcast. And what is really great is you're really surprised. Sometimes the people that you're probably uh, closer to or have uh, more kind of friendly relationships with are sometimes the harder ones to do. And sometimes the people that you have never met in person, but you've spoken, say, through email or um, met once are some of the, the podcasts that come across best. So I'm learning every single mm. time I do one. Um, I have to say I loved speaking to Harriet Lee. Um, she has such a wealth of knowledge of some of the bar scene and things that I wasn't super familiar with. And I met her at Drink mm. Easy judging down in um, Mona uh, a couple of years back. And um, I could have spoken to her for like all day. Um, and even listening to her mm. talk about gin, I was like, 
oh my gosh, like she just gave me goosebumps talking about gin. So, um, but every single guest I've really enjoyed talking to and I've learned something about them that I didn't know before. And uh, it's just so nice to be able to to kind of shine a light on these people that I think are total heroes. And I, I get really good feedback in the fact that they're really honoured that they've been asked. And I'm like, gosh, you're just a fascinating person. So, um, so far it's been pretty awesome, it really has. You don't become one of Australia's leading sommeliers overnight. When when did the switch turn on for you in regards to drinks and, and wine and, and the journey sort of begin? Um, you know, when... Um, I started working at Key. I started as a runner and, and we've talked about this before. I slowly worked my way up. I knew I wanted to work in wine, but I didn't really know how you went about that. And, and even studying Westset and going through the motions, um, you, you're not ever quite sure kind of what you're doing, I would I suppose you say you're always winging it or you're trying your hardest and you're thinking, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And I actually found that by... Uh, asking questions and getting involved with Soms Australia. I, I was just actually looking back at some photos and looking at my first Sommeliers Australia event, which was talking about Nebbiolo, the grape. And, uh, you know, I did a little tasting at Key where I had about, I think, 30 people turned up. But I was so nervous that I'd put myself out there as a committee member that I said, you know, I'm going to do an event. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. All I knew was that I knew some great examples of Nebbiolo. I wanted to put up some Australian examples against some beautiful Italian Barone Rollos and Barbarescos, and then I invited a few people to come along, and I was terrified. And I've still got a photo of the day, just not knowing what I was in for. And you know, I had all these people turn up that I'd never met, or some were wine professionals, some were just wine nerds, some people, you know, and they were thrilled just to be there and talk about it. I remember thinking, well, that wasn't actually that hard, you know. I didn't have to do too much because the love of wine was there, and so people were interested. And and I think it was with one event, another event that I slowly started going, I think I can do this. I think I might be able to be capable of doing this job that scares the hell out of me. Um, we also did um, <laughs> world's biggest BYO, which was uh, for cure cancer um, at Key. And we did that for, I think, about 10 years that that was held at Key. And I wow. remember being invited to be one of the sommeliers. And essentially that's, you know, all um, – for cure cancer, it would be people would buy seats and they would bring their own bottle and then you would be a sommelier that would have one table, 10 people, you'd get 10 bottles and you would just put them in a lineup of how you're going to serve them. And you didn't know what wow. people were bringing. Um, and I just remember being invited to do it as a, a psalm of key and going, sure, I don't know what it means, but I'll do that. And, you know, it was like <laughs> Sydney, Sydney's best sommeliers, Frank Moreau. Like I could not be, believe that I was actually standing next to these guys almost in line with them going, what the hell am I doing here? Michael Engelman. It was just incredible. And, um, yeah, and I think that that was when I sat down, um, Amanda put on this amazing lunch for us where we sat down in the upper tower and the chefs actually cooked this incredible filet mignon for us and we opened some red burgundy before the event and it was a way to say thanks for dedicating your time, thanks for volunteering right. tonight for this event. Uh, we're going to have a great night. We're going to talk about wine and then we're going to go out to Frankie's and have pizza and beers and gin afterwards. And that was how the night played out. But I remember just thinking, yeah, like maybe, maybe I'm doing something right. Great wine is often about a time and place and an experience and shared with friends. Do, do you have any stories of traveling abroad and um, in regards to wine and the experiences you've had? Yeah, I've got, I've got quite a lot, actually. I, I love traveling and <laughs> I, I took, um, I took 
about five years to travel um, after I finished my degree at university and it was the best thing I've ever done. I think travel should be part of everyone's lives at any time, really. I don't think it necessarily has to be before you settle down in life. It could be later. Um, Mm. And I think that beverages and food and wine played a huge part in all of the kind of life-changing moments I had overseas in some way or another. Um, By that, I mean that it was often a moment where I I really felt connected to the culture of where I was traveling at the time. Um, And that's essentially why I'm in beverages and what I do, because I really feel that through understanding and having a moment with food and wine, you actually understand so much more about um, where that country is, where it's formed, who the people are, the influences, mm. um, the development, and you and I appreciate the world more because of the study or the kind of kaleidoscope of looking into a beverage or looking into a particular plate of food, and I think it opens up the world so much more. So, like for example, um, I travelled to a Zambia. I think it was in around about two thousand and maybe 13, with my parents who were going to stay at an orphanage there. Um, And we stayed there for a couple of weeks living in the orphanage and, um, you know, volunteering some of our time there. And I remember hanging out there and we had, we went to some really fancy Zambian hotel and had martinis looking out over um, the mighty tundra. But then also we had these moments where we'd sit with the workers and we'd have what they call sweet beer, which is like a a mildly fermented drink with pounded roots and then mixed with um, maize. And it's like one of their dietary staples. But I remember kind of having this weird, almost curdled character of this kind of corny maize alcoholic drink but drinking it with some of the workers of the orphanage and thinking this is what traveling's all about this moment right here where I really feel part of this moment with these people um and you know it was even more rewarding than having a martini looking over one of the most beautiful kind of uh, water features in the world um so I think that yeah I've had I've lots of beautiful stories of everywhere I've traveled. But like I said, I think food and drink really is um, a highlight of understanding where you are and what, why it's so unique in that one area compared to where you perhaps are from. How do you capture that feeling and then that experience in a, in a restaurant setting when you're trying to deliver that sort of drink and beverage experience for guests? I think at the end of the day, it's about sharing um sharing a story of where where these products come from. And again, very much like the podcast, it's not really about you. It's it's about kind of delivering an experience. And that comes, that experience isn't just the restaurant and the glassware and what you're eating and drinking and the company that guest is keeping. It's also about all the other components that come to that moment in time. So, you know, farmers and winemakers and producers at, at the end of the day, They are just people trying to do their best. But what I think is really important is that they are most of the time there, especially in somewhere like Key or wherever it be, fine dining restaurant, they're there because they absolutely believe in quality over quantity. So most of the time Mm. they're so wonderful because they're not selling out to produce something that makes them a lot of money. They're doing whatever it may be and they're so passionate about it because they really believe that they are producing the best possible wine, beer, lamb, whatever it may be possible that they can do because they really believe in it. And so those stories 
and those people behind it and what's on the plate. It's kind of trying to represent that and give them, give the guests a whole picture of all of these workings that's then represented in a slice of lamb on a plate. So I think that that's how, and, and, you know, kind of explaining and sharing the wonder of the world, the enthusiasm that you have for how much you love that, that's really kind of contagious. And that's probably the terrible word to use at the moment. <laughs> but it is, it, it, it infects you in a way that you see somebody so happy and so excited to share something. That has an effect on the guests and then they're excited to eat it and they're excited to then talk about it with their company. And so I think it is about um, making experience for that guest but also reading them and, and seeing what they want out of their experience as well. But I, I try to try and to encapsulate some of the things that I find um, wonderful and joyous in what I do and then try and share that with the guests, I suppose. What you do at such a high level in the, in the restaurant industry, how does, how does that shift to sort of every day? I mean, what's your go-to um, meal at home that you might cook and, and what would you pair it with? Mm, I love cooking. Um, I'm probably not great at it, but I really like giving it a go. <laughs> and I like trying lots of new things. I'm definitely um, a home cook that doesn't particularly like following recipes. So I'm a terrible, terrible baker <laughs> and uh, anything sweet, I kind of skip over. But um, I really like... Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the kind of, I don't know, the the energy that goes into going looking at something and going, oh, I want to give that a go and, and the process of, of trying it. I like throwing in different herbs, but I'm definitely someone that likes my mise en place really well organised. I don't want to be scrambling mm. at the end of the night trying to like uh, balance five different things and overcooking something and then getting disappointed. So um, I like to have all my mise en place really ready to go. I usually probably am thinking about the outcome of, okay, what am I making tonight? What am I going to drink it with? I love having a little drink while I'm pre preparing. So if I was to give up, say, I was only allowed to have one drink a night because I'm trying to be really healthy, I would always have that drink when I'm preparing a meal and not sit down and have something at the wow. table just because I really like that process of, okay, mm. we're starting dinner. And for me, that's a little, like, exciting journey of starting dinner. In saying that, if you have to do it every day and you have children, I can see why it would totally become a chore um, but at the moment it's just me and my partner so um, yeah I like to just have a think you know I'm going to do a slow braise all right maybe I'll get some some kind of mildly tannic red wine that's something a little bit more warming and full body because that's really going to go with the feel of what I'm cooking tonight and then you know sometimes mm. I really just feel like chardonnay and you know I'm cooking a steak and I think bugger it I'm having chardonnay and a steak and I'm <laughs> I'm a-okay with that yes. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> You're incredibly uh, passionate about Australian producers and the producing uh, wine that's very different to a lot of the world. There's the old wine and new wine world and so many different sort of techniques and everything going on. Well, tell us about how you've seen the evolution of, of the beverage industry in Australia through your career. I've, I've seen it change quite a lot. Um, but more than that, I think I've seen people's response to Australian beverages change more than I've seen kind of it change in my time. And that's mm. probably because I haven't really like in the skate grand scheme of things been doing this for that long. Um, but what I've seen is that 
people are a lot more um, embracing of what we're doing here in Australia, whether it be that back in the day, you know, well, it wasn't quite Cabernet unless it was from Bordeaux. That That's really changed. Um, people's perception has changed mm. and people are supportive of what we do here in Australia. And, uh, and I think it goes with our culture of being multicultural, um, just like we want to have whatever we feel like for dinner tonight and that may be Korean bimbimbap or it might be um, a schnitzel or we have everything at our fingertips. And I think it's the same thing that we want in beverages in Australia is we want everything at our fingertips. We do want all the best international wine. We want Croatian wine. We want, you know, spirits that are coming out of some underground garage made by some, you know, crazy daft punk Dude, I mean, who knows? We want everything, um, and so we want to see it. But we are supportive of all the smaller, smaller startups as well. So I think what I've seen is that it, it, it used to be a lot about what we didn't do in Australia and what we could import, and the um, reputation of these very long established old world wine um, countries. But I think these days it's very much mm. that we're extremely proud of what we produce on an international scale. And that, um, you know, the little local, you know, Highlands wine distillery down the road or whatever it may be is just as um, poignant as, as something else from overseas. So, yeah, that's the biggest shift that I've probably seen in, in my time. For most Australians, it's still quite untapped, the, the wineries and the wine regions of Australia in regards to their own personal knowledge. Um, we sure do like a drink, but what, do you have any stories of your experiences on Australian vineyards or at wineries and and um, w- what you've loved about them? Yeah, I, I've been so lucky to travel quite a bit throughout Australia. Um, I think one of the first trips I went on was called SIP Trip, which is Sommelier's Immersion Program in 2015. And I think we went to eight wine regions throughout Australia which is pretty incredible in like 10 days. Um, it was about 10 sommeliers um, from all over the country. Um, what I loved about that was that I I was, you know, probably um, a floor sommelier by that stage. I wasn't in a senior role. I was put forward from um, Amanda Yellop and I joined a, a really diverse group. So sommeliers that have been doing it for quite some time, some newer guys. Uh, and we went to lots of different wine regions. So regions like the King Valley, which I had, you know, not much experience with, kind of what they were planting at the time, looking at some Italian varieties there. We went to um, Margaret River, which was actually a bunch of really um, iconic wineries that put money together because they weren't included and trying to get a lot of Psalms over from the East Coast over to the West Coast was, you know, obviously not financially viable to do every year. And they actually said, we want these Psalms to come over to us this year. We're going to put the money together and um, so I had great experiences, a lot of different wine regions. And like I said, some of them are slightly more emerging and some that were like super established, but you get something different from all of those places. I remember it being Pizzini in the, in the King Valley and the Italian culture that they had and, and their, their handmade pastas. And they had, a, they gave us this beautiful book, which was all about the cooking in that particular restaurant. And the, the hospitality that I felt in this tiny region, I got to see all the kind of different aspects of these kind of rolling hill, hilly kind of country. And that was incredible. And then going over to, to Margaret River where we were like patting stingrays um, 
down at Hamlin Bay and then driving through the incredible Kari Forest where there's these huge trees that just like dwarf you and they're incredible and talking about the Mary blossoms and when they don't blossom, how that's when a lot of the birds the the red eyes don't eat the mari blossoms so they attack a lot of the fruit and that's one of the big you know like you just i just learned so much in such yeah huge different um experiences and and uh i love australia i really do i i I think that it's important to visit the a lot of regions not just once but multiple times because they really do change quite a lot some of the regions i first visited might have had like five or six wineries that now have over 60 wineries so i think that um I would never say no to any, which is why I do a bit of judging and a few other things. I would never say no to being able to revisit a wine region in Australia anytime. That's absolutely, and I hope to do that for the rest of my life as well. Yeah. What do you think the advantages are for producing beverages in Australia compared to, say, the old world wine, uh, old world sort of uh, wineries across the planet? Well, we're just not defined by some of those um, very strict legal uh, legislations that were put in place from some of the old world. So we're able to, um, you know, we still have our geographical indications and we still have, you know, percentages of what can be put on labels, but they're really quite open. So winemakers have the opportunity to decide whether or not they're going to um, make really, really traditional wine that's from um, varieties that are suited and tried and tested in the region or planting brand new varieties that they think are going to work and, you know, doing skin contact or aging in whatever it may be, terracotta or big cement um, eggs. They have the opportunity to do whatever they decide works. And yes, there's risk involved in that, but I think it means that we see such a huge diversity of styles and, um, and we're also seeing people that are taking a risk that are really paying off, perhaps working with um, great varieties that have done well in kind of, you know, warmer, drier, more drought ridden kind of climates and looking forward to the future. Perhaps maybe they don't work quite great right now, but if they're planting them now, mm. maybe in 30 years, that might be the future. So we just have the opportunity to do kind of whatever we want at the same time, quality being of the utmost important because it does reflect on a region. And you do see that, that the communities are quite close and they know that the, the stronger they are together as a community, the more that that region is going to shine. So even though people are, are doing their own own kind of style, you still see them come together to kind of say, okay, I'm doing this, but what else? Can, maybe I need to do a line that's really traditional in, in line with what the rest of the region's doing. So I have that offering as well. Your knowledge base of Australian and global uh, wines is, is extraordinary, but you really do immerse yourself into finding out as much information as possible. Well, we talked about where it all sort of started and, and triggered for you with the interest in wine, but what's been the real sort of key moments that have defined the direction you've gone in? Hmm. Um, I suppose there hasn't been many negatives from me saying yes to opportunity that's come my way, even if sometimes I haven't necessarily had perhaps the knowledge or skills to do those things. So I feel that putting myself out there and and challenging myself and saying yes to nearly everything that's come my way has um, broadened the scope of where I thought wine could go. Um, I also think that, you know, knowledge is an interesting 
concept when it comes to wine and study because it it never ends. It never gets to a point where you're going to know everything. Um, and I've I've eventually I used to get quite stressed about that because I always thought you know to be whoever I want to be in the wine world. I this has to be the number one. And, and knowledge and learning is always a focus, but it can be overwhelming at times. So I've always played to my strengths and my strengths, I do believe most of the time are talking to people, having a, a conceptual understanding of wine and um, and place and maybe not single facts, which tend to go in and out of my brain, like the wind, like in and out. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, like I said, always applying to everything you can. I've applied to most scholarships that I can um get my hands on. I did uh, Len Evans tutorial, which was um, in 2019. For everyone that doesn't know what that is, that is, um, it was founded by the wine godfather, Len Evans. Um, he retired from a long, his a long a lifetime of wine judging and was looking for a way to kind of educate and inspire future leaders and show judges, which essentially came from the Royal Agricultural Society, just like the Easter show with the lamb and the chicken um, and the produce and wine is a part of that. So he actually put together this incredible tutorial. Essentially it is, or arguably, the most extraordinary wine school in the world. It's 12 scholars, um, a huge amount of money. I think it's upwards of $15,000 per scholar goes into it. It's all run by volunteers and it was founded by um, Len Evans himself and now the tutors are James Halliday, Ian McKenzie and Ian Riggs. Um, and it is essentially workshops, masterclasses, and then these unbelievable dinners where you sit with the best brackets of wine or blind over dinner and you discuss them. And it is the most incredible, incredible experience or wine experience you will ever have in your life. And I was so lucky to do it in 2019. And it was an outer body experience, I can tell you. Um, the, the, the moment you get called up and you, you, most people apply every year, sometimes it takes two, sometimes it takes 10, who knows. And the moment you get called up to know you're selected, like, is just like time just stops for me. And um, it was incredible. You, you're bonded to life to these people that you go through the experience with. You've got people like James Halliday or Tyson Stells are running you through what they know. You know, Tyson Stells are running you through the best champagnes of the world. I mean, you, it doesn't get any better than that. So something like that, again, was came out of applying and applying again and just saying, you know, maybe I won't get in, maybe I'm not the right choice, but I'm going to give it a go and we'll just see. And so I think, yeah, putting yourself out there is really, it's scary, but it often really pays off. Wine can often be quite intimidating for many people and most of us just want to drink something that's delicious. Um, how do you go about wine communication? It's it's a lot harder than food communication to sort of draw people in and take them on a journey. Well, what's your approach? It's been, um, I think that that's such an interesting question and, and, it, and I've answered it a few times. I don't know if I've ever been articulate enough to, to properly say what I want to, but I think it's really important to figure out where, who you're talking to and where they're at and then talk to that person that you're, you're speaking with on wherever they're at, never making someone feel silly or not that they don't know enough. The amount of people that say their first thing out of their mouth before they even speak to me is, I don't know much about wine. 
but I want to order a wine. You know, it's such a shame that people feel that way. And to be fair, I, I'm sure there have been sommeliers that have, or people that have made them feel quite small and therefore they don't feel like they know enough. And yes, it's a big world and there's a lot of vocabulary involved and there's a lot of technical information, but anyone can enjoy wine. And even with, um, even beer and, and spirits, we don't have that same fear, which is such a shame. So I think at the end of the day, I try to just work out who am I talking to? And then like a chameleon, you adjust how you're going to speak about wine so that you're getting through to them. Because the more you can get through and make them feel comfortable, the more you're going to get out of them to then be able to deliver a wine that's going to blow their mind. So I, I really think that we all need to um, be a little bit more considerate uh, when we talk about wine and lose the jargon, it, it, it applies sometimes, you know? Yeah. There's sometimes you talk to someone and perhaps a winemaker comes in and you're like, okay, gosh. And then I, I'm normally in the place where I'm like, oh God, what, what am I about to say to them about that? Don't like mess it up by <laughs> getting the wrong uh, pH level or, or soil type, my God. But at the end of the day, you're there to enjoy yourself. Wine is about celebration. It's about the icing on the cake. It's about making a moment of company and, and the more important things of life just that little bit better or that little bit more festive or a bit more fun. So I don't know. I think we, we really need to um, pull our head out of our ass occasionally and, and, and just uh, remember what, what wine's all about and it should be about having a cheers and having fun. So <laughs> the podcast has been amazingly successful and um, you've got an incredible knack to not take the, the conversation too far into the realm of that sort of getting people lost in the jargon of, of wine. Um, what's your approach um, with guests? When, um, when I first kind of started, I remember saying to myself, I want this to be about stories and I want this to be about the life of the people I'm talking to, not necessarily about the brand that they represent, which is hard because they, whoever it may be, they always have something to sell. Everybody has an agenda or something to do and, and they, what they want to represent themselves or their brand in the right way. But I do think that you you sometimes get lost in that and you, that's what websites are for and that's what ambassadors are for. You can look up that information, but what you can't get is the stories and the the accents and the the funny quirks or the bad dad jokes or whatever it may be that defines that person. So it was always about trying to draw out who I knew of that person or didn't know and find out a little bit more about their take on their life and, and what they do. So I think um, there certainly is a place for more in-depth um, information and um, more technical jargon on, on how wine gets to there. And there's some great podcasts out there, but what I really wanted to do was a little bit different from that. And like I said, at the end of the day, you know, you can look up a lot of that information and find out um, more about perhaps why that wine looks like that. But um, like I said, I just think the stories are more interesting. And so um, just asking those questions, but at the, most of the time I have some pretty amazing guests and it's just their pure personality and talent that comes through. So I don't have to do too much. The last couple of years have thrown a big curveball on everything that we do. And it looks like um, it might be that way for a little bit longer. Has, has it changed your uh, perception on, on wine and what, and what you do? Yeah, it really has um, because I think, uh, I just, when I talk to some of the guests and when I've talked to people over my time, 
um, working as a sommelier, I've listened to some amazing stories of people that perhaps are born into winemaking and have, you know, 19 generations before them. And I remember thinking, I, I wish I had the opportunity to make real change in the Australian beverage scene. And more and more as the years go on, am I more determined to be part of it, not to um, be a celebrity in the world, but to actually make some change for the better so that what I've done in my time is remembered as that person really helped the Australian beverage scene develop. And so I think that on reflection of taking some time away, I'm trying to make sure that all the decisions I make are for that goal. Um, And especially with new sommeliers coming up, with, um, you know, the conversations we have, it's always about saying, are we making change for good? Are we doing the right thing by the winemaker when we sell their wine? Are we doing the right thing by, um, you know, the, the grower or, or the negotiant or, or the person that, you know, if someone sends us in a sample of wine and, you know, I give it to another sommelier and I, but I, I still have to tell them, you know, there's gravitas with when you take this wine home. I need you to get back to me with what you liked about it because that person has sent me that wine in as a gesture so that I can perhaps list that wine. And I perhaps want you to take it home, but you need to make sure you have the understanding of what that means. And then I need to, I need to get back to them. So it needs to have tasting notes, why you think it has a place on the list. You know, most of the time I'll Coravana taste it anyway myself as well. But um, so I think every just doing things, um, knowing that there's a reaction and a consequence to all the decisions you make and just trying to do things for the better. And like you said, this is this last couple of years has taught us that we're all just trying to do the best we can by ourselves, by the job that we do by being parents, whatever it may be, is we're all, and we all are really just trying to, to do the best we can. And so um, I think that it's been a good time to reflect and maybe take a moment away because it does tend to feel like you're just rolling through life and you never have time for everything else. And I've certainly um, come out of it thinking I need to make, not miss out on a lot of things I have just because I feel like I, I'm doing a lot at work. I, I don't want to miss out on you know, being a, a good wife or, or being a good friend, being there for my family. I have to make sure or being present in the moment that it's some of the things you picked up during lockdown. So going back into the world that we are in and our jobs, but also maintaining some of those small precious lessons that we've learned along the way. The Australian industry has um, been evolving amazingly, the, the beverage industry. And what, what can we expect to see in the next sort of decade or so? What are you excited about? I'm just excited about um, how thoughtful and um, considerate a lot of producers are about sustainability and looking forward to the future. I think that that is maybe perhaps something that we all want the government to do a little bit more of, but we've realised that each in our own way we can have an impact. Um, So I think that what we're seeing is that people are planning for the future and so they should, to be fair. I mean, that's what farmers do. They're not planting trees for something that's going to come up next week. They're thinking about a hundred years, 200 years down the track. So I think we, you know, what we're seeing is that people really are um, planning and then also asking themselves, what, what's the imprint? What am I leaving behind for the next generation? So I'm really excited that there is so many um, thoughtful people out there. Uh, It used to just be Mm -hmm. a winery here and there. And now it's at the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, When I meet any new 
winemaker or, or, or winery, I, I, I usually am asking them, what are you doing? What are you doing for this culture? What are you doing for this local program? What are you doing, you know, uh, sustainable, sustainably thinking that way? And, and there's not many wineries these days that don't have an immediate answer for you because it is at the forefront of their business plan. So I think that's really, really exciting. And, and we should look after our land. Um, it should be our main concern <laughs> for the most part. Um, I'm also really excited about some of the um, wineries that are being thoughtful about perhaps the land that they're on in terms of um, the, you know, Indigenous people of Australia. And I think that we're getting a little bit more thoughtful in terms about how we um, promote, um, you know, our, our First Nations and, and, and how we support them down the track. I mean, they know this land better than any of us. They know the plants better than any of us. So I think that um, there's a little bit more um, foresight into encompassing that into how we talk about culture and beverages and food these days as well. Well, Over a Glass comes out uh, every Thursday on every app, podcast app. Um, what can we expect from the show this year? Oh, what can't you expect? <laughs> um, I'd like to think that there's going to be lots of surprises, lots of left of centre, a little bit more international focus as well. I don't think you should think that anyone's not going to be on there because um, drinks, and like we said, the, this is a drinks podcast. It's not necessarily just a wine podcast. It's not just talking to winemakers. It's going to be a bit of everything. We're going to talk to drinkers. We're going to talk to people that just love booze, but perhaps don't know anything about it. So I, I want to talk to a really diverse range of people and um, I want to have some surprises. I want to definitely have some laughs along the way. And uh, hopefully, you know, by the end of a Thursday, when you finish listening to it, you're thirsty and you want to go out and find something delicious to drink at the end of the day. That should be, um, it should be enticing. <laughs> Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I can't wait to hear um, what you've got in store for, for everyone uh, for 2022. Um, Shante, as always, absolutely honoured to catch up with you, and congratulations on the show, and um, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Huck. Thanks so much for believing in me and having me on, and uh, I'm sweating, so whew, that was uh, definitely the shoe <laughs> on the other foot. <laughs> so thanks for having me, and uh, look forward to what 2022 brings and thanks to you this is over a glass i'm shante whale stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks listen in every thursday on your podcast app follow us on instagram at over a glass pod and contact us at over a glass at deepintheweeds.com.au.